Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. And uh, with that as an introduction, I'm going to go right to Congressman Louis Gohmert. He's a hero to some of us. This congressman is a servant. Uh, by that, I want to give I want to give legs to that, so you understand what I'm saying. Uh, there have been times we've been in Washington D.C. It's been close to the midnight hour. We're trying to find a taxi. He finds out about it. He picks us up and drives us to our hotel at midnight. This is, we aren't the only ones he's done that with, and he's done it more than once. He has to be up early the next morning, and yet he's helping people get to their hotels. I have no idea how many thousands of people, thousands and thousands, he has given a private tour of the Capitol after hours. We're talking about starting at 8 and 8.30, ending at about 11.30, where he, he walks in detailed history through the Judeo-Christian foundation of this country. It's breathtaking to hear, hear him talk. You've uh, not toured the Capitol till you've been with Louis Gomer in those exciting moments. From the East Texas area, uh, he's a member, member of Congress for quite a few years. And uh, Congressman Gomer, we just so honor you, we bless, we bless you. Thank you, thank you for being on here. But talk to us about a very painful day in America last Monday and uh, give us context and understanding of where we are as a nation. Well, uh, I know that Paul said, uh, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But I also know that Jesus looked down on Jerusalem with a broken heart and, and pointed out how many times he had wanted to gather them under his wings. They wouldn't have it. And we see this country, how many times every one of us have wanted to do anything to help this country because we see it going the wrong direction, the direction that leads to the end of countries, the end of governments. And we've been moving that way for some time now. And I would point back to the uh, 50s and 60s, but especially the 60s. And so uh, the Roe decision you know, was a change, but the question is, will the Supreme Court have the courage to do what's necessary to get us back on a stabilized course? Now, what uh, happened at Mar-a-Lago, um, yeah, that uh, we, we were talking earlier, Jim, it, that is the pinnacle so far, because it's never happened before that uh, Department of Justice or any level of prosecution has ever sought to run a warrant on a former president's home and it was so unnecessary and it it is really outrageous uh yes they released the doj released asked the court to unseal the warrant but the warrant doesn't tell you where the problems are uh you need to see the affidavit you need to see the application and they haven't asked that those be unsealed and that was one of the problems with the Russia hoax. Uh, there was information that we weren't privy to. There was uh, an application we weren't privy to. And eventually when we got those, we began to see what a bu bunch of liars we had at the DOJ, FBI, Intel community, even DOD had participated in that uh, funding a guy in London that participated. So it, it became a little scary the way they went after Trump the first, second, third time. But to go after the former president who, as president, has complete authority to declassify anything. And let me tell you, 
put yourself, if you can, in President Trump's situation. They have lied about him. They have prosecuted friends, family. They have put people through a living Hades uh, just because they had a relationship with Trump. They have just really made his life miserable. A lesser person would have walked away. And if you go back and look, they expected him to resign within six months if they put enough pressure on back in 2016 and 17. Well, that didn't happen. So they're getting desperate. And this was a desperate move because since he can declassify anything, if you're President Trump, you know the fraud that has been inflicted upon you. And you do know that there was fraud. I know we got people say, oh, that was completely debunked about the 2020 election. Well, no, we had courts that refused to have evidentiary hearings. So the evidence didn't come forward then, but now it's coming out. And uh, to have people say, like the head of uh, our national security at DOJ, no, he's never seen uh, 2000 mules tells you they're not interested in getting to the bottom of fraud of any election if it helps keep Trump out of the office. So it's a scary time for America. But if you're President Trump, if I were him, I would want to move as many important documents. I would declassify them. I would move them to my private residence because I know I cannot trust the DOJ. I cannot trust the National Security Council. They turned on him repeatedly, leaked information, were guilty of some fraud. Uh, so you've got nobody to trust really with those documents, but yourself, you've seen the games that have been played to try to lock you up. And so uh, I can't blame him for moving those things there. We've got a lot to learn about what has happened, but to go after him with a warrant and to prevent anyone from being able to see what they were doing uh, like Trump said, you know, who knows? They could have planted something in his home with nobody there. Uh, I don't trust them. They, it, it, in fact, you know, President Trump got a, a lot of bad advice on personnel to be to, uh, to be appointed. Uh, I told him after he appointed Christopher Ray, you know, you've asked me about some people. I wish you had asked me about Christopher Ray because I would have told you, Comey and Mueller are his heroes. And we know how much damage they did and uh, it, how deceptive and dishonest they had been, in my opinion. Uh, and it, I told him these words, as long as Christopher Ray is director of the FBI, you're not safe and America's not safe. And I still, that's still my opinion, even more so now. It's a dangerous time. I, I've seen things that I believe were very dishonest actions by Christopher Ray. Uh, as I've said before, he was put in place to clean up the FBI. And what he's done is sweep the dirt under the rug. It's still there. So it's a, it is. And, and let me add to that right after that, the FBI grabbed the phone of a dear friend and uh, a member of Congress, Scott Perry, a retired general from the military and Scott they had they had talked with him and he said you need anything notify my chief well they didn't notify his chief 
he was finally taking a few days off, was at the beach with his family when the FBI shows up and demands his phone. Uh, well, those guys know about the decision by the D.C. Court of Appeals in 2007. Uh, you may remember something about William Jefferson from Louisiana. He was a member of Congress, and he found they found $90,000 cold, hard cash in his freezer. Uh, I read what they had. It looked like they had plenty to convict. But Mueller was FBI director, and he wanted to tweak Congress and let us know that he was in charge and he would come mess with us anytime he wanted to. So for the first time in American history, he got a warrant and went through a member of Congress's office. That's the executive branch breaking in with a warrant into a member of Congress's office and going through his material. Well, I can tell you, we, I have, we all have had FBI agents who come to us as whistleblowers. And I can tell you, if the FBI, the DOJ has the authority to come take your materials, your computer, your phone, all these kind of things, then they can find out who the whistleblowers are and they can make sure there will never be any oversight of the FBI by Congress. Well, this system we have, the, the three branches of government, it will not continue if you have the DOJ able to intimidate members of Congress and keep them from going after them. That's what we're seeing. So knowing that the Supreme Court saw what the D.C. Circuit said when the D.C. Circuit says you can't you can't go just take stuff out of a member of Congress's office and this stuff this fiction you have, you say, we'll set up a firewall within the DOJ. We'll have some members of the DOJ review that for anything that may be privileged. And then we won't let the actual prosecutor see what's privileged. The court said that doesn't work. That, that destroys the balance of power. The FBI, the DOJ, they knew all of that. And yet they didn't care what the law was. They disobeyed the law. They disobeyed their oath and they went and confiscated a member of Congress's telephone. So you, you need to remember that as part of the invasion, the, uh, the invading of Mar-a-Lago, a former president's home. So when you put all of those things together and look at the things that have gone on in the last 20 years, then it should scare you. And I agree, Jim, and I'm so grateful for the prayer network we need more prayer than we've ever had in the history of this country. But I also like what Tommy Nelson said, yeah, God's in control, but just because he's in control doesn't mean he wants us to lean on our shovel and pray for a hole. He gave every one of us tools and we ought to be using them while we're praying uh, for God to be merciful and give this country another chance because of the way we've turned on him, we've turned on truth, we've turned on freedom. Uh, so thank you for giving me a chance to speak. Uh, you asked for my opinion. I, I've sure got plenty. And for those that don't know, I have been a prosecutor. I have done some defense. I, I have been a litigator in state and federal courts. I've been a felony judge. I've been a chief justice of a court of appeals all before I came to Congress. So I have a little background in the law and I appreciate being able to give you my opinion.
Uh, Congressman, how long can a nation stand when the people have lost confidence in the NSC, DOJ, ICA, FBI? When we've lost confidence in these institutions, how long can we go? Well, that brings to another point, and that is a warning that I will continue to sound. With this invasion of Mar-a-Lago uh, under color of law, let me tell you, I think they are the Democrats, the people in charge, they're getting desperate because they know if we have a free and fair election in November, things are going to change tremendously. They know that the way things stand right now, they're not going to be able to have thousands of drop boxes where people can drop ballots off that have just been manufactured and do so at will until they get enough in to win. They know that this election is going to be more secure unless this is my opinion, unless they can get conservatives, people that are concerned about what's going on to do something violent again. Uh, it happened January 6th that there was violence and look how they used it to crush so much of America. I think they, I think the DOJ, the Intel community, you know, these, the NSC, those that have been disloyal, they want to see acts of violence. They're trying to provoke a physical fight. And we have got to make sure that people that care about America engage with words, engage in our system, our, our, our courts that are designed to resolve disputes without violence. We cannot resort to violence, just like Dr. King talked about, or they will change the way voting goes in November, and we will have another round of unfair voting. So we are being done a great uh, uh, wrong, but we can't let that drive us to violence. Uh, it's got to be peaceably, but we have got to stand up to the, the horrendous wrongs, the heinous wrongs, I believe are occurring from within our government itself. We have a, a attorney, Reed Rubenstein, coming on in a moment, so maybe this is a question I should reserve for him, but uh, let me just ask this to you, and then we'll come to our attorney friend in a moment. Um, the president can declassify anything he wants, merely by saying, uh, I declassify it, but he can only do that while he is president. That's right. Do we know that these things were declassified prior to January the 20th, noon of 2021? We do not know that. I mean, I do not know that. Somebody may know that. I do not know that for sure. There are indications that, you know, he said he did, but uh, I don't know for sure. But the Justice Department owes an obligation to this country and to their oath and to the Constitution to make absolutely 100% certainty that, that they were not declassified before they put the this country into the same category it is it has been now as uh, Chavez is Venezuela under Maduro there where you go after your opposition of course the Castros are good at in, in Cuba and of course we know about 1930s um, Germany and Putin the way he takes out opponents and the way China has done that. So we're in a real elite category of dishonorable uh, thugs uh, when they go treat a former president and potential future president 
and certainly opposition to the current president uh, the way they have. It is very, very dangerous. And I, they, in my opinion, they had no business going to this extreme. And that's what brings me back around to thinking, I think they're trying to provoke people so that they can take further action to shut down anything that may be conservative. If you remember, the Obama administration did this using the IRS. And so they would not grant um, official status to conservative groups that were going to oppose uh, President Obama in 2012. And it worked. They kept many groups from being able to form and to work as hard as Democratic groups were. I, I just think it's more of that. And we have got to be on our toes, but not ever let it result in violence. For those of us not legally trained, we talk about unsealing the warrant so it can be seen. Explain to us what is the difference between that and the affidavit that's referred to so often. What is the affidavit? Why is it important to see that? Well, when I would get an application for a warrant, first thing I would look at would be the affidavits because the affidavit under the Fourth Amendment makes very clear you've got to have probable cause you know, that a, that a crime was probably committed, this person probably involved in it. But you have to particularly describe the places to be searched and the items to be seized. And what I was shocked about when WikiLeaks released uh, the order that a FISA judge issued uh, to Verizon uh, based on an application affidavit where they just said, uh, okay, Verizon, Give the DOJ everything you've got, every bit of information on every customer you've got. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm going, does this federal confirmed judge not know the Constitution, for heaven's sake? Uh, and so ever since then, I've known they've gotten warrants when they could not possibly have provided information that merited getting a warrant. And uh, so in the affidavit, there've been plenty of reversals over the many years. Uh, there has, you can't just say, we believe, or you have to set out facts from which probable cause can be drawn. And there were times I would get a warrant and sometimes at two in the morning go, guys, you got no facts in your affidavit here. You're going to have to go get some facts that you put in and somebody swears to because you don't get a warrant until you have what the Constitution requires. And I send them away. Sometimes they could come back with facts that were sworn to and sometimes they couldn't. But you need to see the facts that are allegedly set out in the uh, affidavit, because an application by itself, no matter what it says, is totally inadequate to get a warrant. Uh, so that is the key. And that's what we're not getting to see in this case. And if we'd gotten to see it earlier, uh, with regard to the Russia hoax, we could have brought that whole house of cards tumbling down very, very quickly. I see I've exceeded, uh, uh, Congressman has another commitment. We need to let him off this call. And I went, uh, Mario, I apologize to you. Maybe there's time for a very quick question with the Congressman. We Thank need you. to let him go very quickly. Mario? Uh, Congressman, um, 
how much of this um, raid has to do with them trying to tie in the president to January 6th? And are they going to go and try to arrest the president between now and November? You know, they shouldn't, Mario, they shouldn't. But you just look at the things they've done, how third world they have been. Uh, it looks like that's where they're heading. And whether it's about January 6th or national security documents, um, frankly, I would trust President Trump with them over the DOJ based on all the problems I've seen there and the dishonesty there. Uh, but I think if they can't get, they can't push uh, conservatives to violence, then I can certainly see them trying to arrest Trump just to provoke conservatives so they can change the way voting is done so that they can win the next election legally or illegally. Short of winning the House and the Senate, is there anything that can be done to hold accountability here? Uh, well, we have the courts, but as we've been seeing ever since the election in 2020, uh, I think you could have at least a couple of justices that are suffering from PTSD because of what the Democrats did to them. You know, can you imagine going through life thinking somewhere out there someday I might be a Supreme Court justice, but only if I'm the most ethical person and moral and upstanding. And then you get to that point and they accuse you of being a rapist and all kinds of things. Uh, and, then, and then your family, your kids get all kinds of horrendous threats. Uh, I think they shook up some of the uh, judges as they took them through confirmation. So we need to be praying for them and praying that they will have clarity of mind and thought and will do the right thing and that God will protect them for doing the right thing as we go through what lies ahead. Um, My last question. Um, we mansion and cinema have been a great ally until now. Do you know what happened uh, that we lost them on this uh, terrible bill that's uh, not only going to increase inflation, it's going to appoint 87,000 IRS agents? Well, I know Ted Cruz has said before that uh, the history with Manchin has been that he would hold out until the very end and then he'd get something for his state and he would cave. Well, he held out for a long time, but unfortunately he did just what Ted has said he's done before. And uh, cinema did the same thing. Uh, but just keep in mind, the longer a Democrat holds out when it's a 50, 50 Senate with the vice president casting the, uh, the winning vote, uh, if you're all about using leverage to get as much as you can, uh, no matter what it costs the country, then you hold out, hold out, hold out, get what you want, and then cave. And I'm sorry, I think that's what we saw. Thank you so much. It's great seeing you. We will be keeping you in prayer, Congress. Thank you. Back to you. The, the illustration of Senator Cruz, Rosemary and I heard him speak two weeks ago in D.C., where he told exactly that story on the school vouchers and mentioned voted the right way. And then he had X number of minutes to change his votes 
and they gathered around his desk. And sure enough, five, six minutes later, he cast his ballot the exact opposite way against school choice. So this is this is unfortunately a tragic, a tragic pattern of caving. Uh, Rosemary, pray for Congressman Louis Gomer. You're you're one of the heroes to us. We so ad admire you and respect you and deeply, deeply love you. Rosemary, pray for Congressman Gomer. We thank you, Father, for this great congressman who served our nation in such excellence and powerful, courageous witness. And now, Father, we just thank you for the advance and the reward coming upon his life as you elevate him, Lord, to be your ambassador in even greater way and in greater authority and greater realms. We thank you, Father, that as an ambassador, that means he is a hinge. He is a door opener and a door closer. So we thank you for the authority of the kingdom, Lord, that whatever he binds on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever he loose on earth will be loosed in in heaven father and that authority and fear of the lord will follow him as your representative we thank you for the great future ahead for him and and all that you have we pray divine protection supernatural provision and and placement father we thank you for all this let it be done to your glory and for um your name, Lord Jesus, to be exalted in the eyes of all men. Amen. And you, sir, are about to move into your greatest arena of influence. We're, we're eager to see what that is. But well, I'm eager to see what that is, too. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, my wife's eager to see that as well. So thank you all very much. Uh, love being with you. Just love uh, the influence and what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings on you. Blessings <laughs> on you. We're going to go right to our next guest. I'm so honored to have a Jewish brother with us who we admire and respect profoundly. Uh, Reed Rubenstein, he's an attorney with America First. And uh, Reed, we're so honored you're taking time out to be with us right now because we really want to hear from you and give us, give us perspective on uh, what we're experiencing right now. You, you have the legal mind to do it, and uh, we need to we need to have an understanding, a better understanding of what's unfolding right before us. Well, well thank you, Pastor, and, and thank everybody on this call. And, and I want to acknowledge uh, Congressman Gomert. He's a, a great patriot, terrific congressman. He was an outstanding lawyer uh, and just a tremendously good man. And I think that what you heard from him uh, frames up, unfortunately, uh, the situation that we we find ourselves in now with respect to the raid on, on Mar-a-Lago. Um, we talked a little bit about the warrant and the um, underlying affidavit. The warrant itself is very, very broad. So broad that it, it really doesn't tell us much other than uh, the department is looking for uh, anything, anything it can use to bring legal process against the former president. Uh, this is unprecedented in our history. Um, we are going to places that this country has, has frankly never gone before. Uh, we don't have facts to speak of. If, if you, you know, if you follow the media coverage, what's what's notable is is how similar it 
it is to what we saw with the Russia collusion hoax. Um, and that should concern all of us. As a matter of fact, this morning, or early this afternoon on, on Fox, there was a Russia expert who was talking about how the Russians have seen all of the classified information and how about there are allegations that uh, the president showed U.S. nuclear codes to the Russians in 2017, absurd stuff, absurd stuff. And yet, here we go again with Russia and Putin and, and President Trump. Um, you know, it's astonishing, really, particularly given the Biden family's business relationships with the Russian oligarchy, uh, which seems somehow to have disappeared. Um, so there, there's quite a lot of noise going on. And there are quite a lot of people spinning all sorts of tales. And, and, and legally, you know, none of it means much of anything. But um, this, isn't, this isn't a normal process. We are not in, as I said, uh, a place we've ever been before. And so it's very hard to, to, to kind of try and game out where, where this ends. It doesn't end well. Because right now there are only two kind of paths that, that are out there. One, that um, the government backs down and we have yet more evidence of, of overreach. Um, and another, another example of the extent to which those in power are willing to weaponize it against the rest of us. Um, the Crossfire Hurricane and the Russia collusion hoax were also very unique events, nothing like them ever in our history. What happened in October of 2020 with Hunter Biden's laptop, where that was made to disappear, and, and understand that on that laptop is very strong evidence of very deep, wide-ranging political corruption by sitting vice president and his, and his family. And it was made to disappear. As a matter of fact, we come to find out actually just last week in a letter from Senator Charles Grassley to Christopher Wray that the FBI intelligence analyst, the same one who verified the Steele dossier, which was a fabrication and he knew it to be a fabrication at the time, the same analyst who was uh, very strongly criticized by the uh, Department of Justice Inspector General the same analyst who has been uh, discredited and has been shown to be a political partisan was given the task of determining whether or not Hunter Biden's laptop was valid information or misinformation. And surprise, surprise, he determines it's misinformation in October 2020 and tries to make sure that there's no further investigation by coding. Uh, the FBI has certain internal processes where they code things by coding it in a way that the investigation would not be reopened. Same individual. How does that happen? Well, that's a really good question. And, and, and I suppose maybe the Republicans win the Congress. We, we maybe we have a colorable chance of finding out. Legally, though, and, and I you know, I guess for the third time now saying, we don't really know where, what's going to spin out. Um, the president, once he left office, could no longer declassify records. But here's the thing. 
by all accounts, there was a process going on of negotiation between the president's people and the National Archives. The National Archives is responsible for holding presidential records. And, and the notion that there is, that this is somehow unique, that there's never in history been a, a kind of a, a dispute between or, or a disagreement between a president's people and the National Archives about what is or isn't um, appropriate presidential records that, that have to be returned it happens all the time. It has happened all the time. It happened with, it's still happening with President Obama, it happened with President Bush, it happened with President Clinton, it happened with President H.W. Bush. This is not unusual. Matter of fact, it even happened going back to the Nixon years and the Nixon library. There's, you know, years after the fact, still negotiation. And the notion that there may be classified information in those records also is not unusual. Honestly, the government overclassifies a lot of things and they'll put a classified marking on information just because for whatever reason they don't want it to go out or to limit its internal distribution. A lot of reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, what's in these boxes is, say, of the same nature and quality as, oh, for example, um, what was on Hillary Clinton's home server back in, in 2015 and 2016. Um, the laws are written in a way to uh, ensure that, that, that the integrity of the records is to the extent possible protected. There has to be a colorable basis for believing that the president, President Trump, was going to alienate, destroy, or or hide presidential records. Uh, there's at least, at, based on what we know now, there's no evidence of that. Um, he wasn't destroying blackberries. He wasn't taking bleach bit. You may remember that from five, six years ago. To the information, nothing like that, as far as we know. And um, it's it's very hard to understand why the Department of Justice because supposedly it was Merrick Garland himself who made the decision to go on this, why he felt the need to, um, to upend norms that date back to the founding of this country. Uh, because right now there's no evidence to suggest that there was any reason or need um, or compelling obligation to do so. One other thing I would like to add and and, and you know, I don't know what we make of this, but um, I've tried to spend some time uh, listening to our friends uh, on the other political side to understand and try and understand what they're saying and what they're thinking. And they have been really since the moment that, that President Trump was elected, they have been calling for him to be prosecuted and convicted for anything. They really believe that this is that convicting the former president is a, a worthy and a noble thing to do. And it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what this, there's no need for a crime. Uh, they, they will manufacture whatever it takes. And uh, over and over and over again in the media, you will see that uh, they repeat the same lines again and again and again and again. Uh, they started out with, well, no one, no person's above the law. Uh, that was repeated over and over again. Then they go to, oh, they were nuclear secrets. And now they've pivoted, pivoted to the Russians have the documents. It's, it's really 
uh, from a from a you know just a, a trade craft standpoint, it's it's really interesting to watch them pull this off yet again because we lived this with Russia for three years, the Russia collusion hoax for three years. You remember? Oh, the walls are closing in. Oh, we got them now. Um, and here we are. It's it's back. Yet there is a substantial portion of the country that believes it. And I don't know what we do with that. I, I think I think what Congressman Gomert said is right. We need we need to pray. We need to shake the heavens and and beg God to to help our poor country because we are we are um, in a bad place. But by the same token, we can't stand on our shovels and expect God to dig the hole. We got to start shoveling and 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 mucking it out and cleaning things up. And um, so that's, you know, hopefully got, uh, Congressman Gomert and his colleagues will will be appropriately aggressive. Um, we're doing what we can. We've opened investigations of the Department of Justice and the archives to try and find out what precisely was going on with respect to the decision making. And um, we've asked the Inspector General of the Department of Justice to to launch an investigation. Uh, about the circumstances and 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 the relationship between the department and dis political decision makers in the White House. The White House disclaims all knowledge of this candidly. I don't think there's anybody that believes them. And here's the worst thing. You know, trust in government and trust our institutions. And Pastor, this goes to a question you asked. Trust in government and trust our institutions is a very, very precious thing it's it's like a white tablecloth and you know you spill a little bit of, of wine or or something on it and you get a little stain here and a little stain there um but but eventually you end up with something you can't use and that's candidly where we're at the justice department during the obama years was uh weaponized pretty substantially we tried to jerk it back to kind of the middle of the road, um, but we saw kind of the, the the consequences of what happened play out with the Russia collusion hoax. And, and again, it's it's incumbent on everybody really to read up on that because you're not going to get the information from the news. You know, from the news, you, you can read it; it's all out there, and you will see just how corrupted the institution was. And corrupted, honestly, is the only word that I think accurately portrays it. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe there is a basis or there was a basis and that, that, that in, in a, in a vacuum, you could say, oh, you know, the records should have been, you know, taken and, and the president Trump's lawyers should have moved faster or something. The problem is that given the context of everything that's happened over these past six or seven years, there is no reason to trust them. We have no reason to trust the federal government. In the 1960s and 70s, it was called a credibility gap, and it took us a very long time to get over that. Well, we have it again. And, um, you know, it's up, it's up to all of us. It's up to the churches. And, and, and as I said, God help our poor country. God help our poor country. Uh, Councillor, I 
as I introduced you, I failed to give your credentials. Uh, they are just take just take thirty seconds and tell a little bit about yourself. I have some questions, but uh, I want you to just share a little bit autobiographically your credentials and your work in the field of law and and in the administration. Uh, sure, Pastor. I I was um, a practicing lawyer for many years. Um, I, I did uh, primarily litigation, but some other things as well with some very big law firms. Um, in um, I handled a couple of notable cases. Um, kind of my my the thing I hope goes on my tombstone is that I represented the victims of the uh, Fort Hood terrorist attack, uh, which also, by the way, was the result of of some government um, misbehavior mm-hmm. uh, that began under George W. Bush. Um, then uh, in, in uh, 2015, I, I, I actually became involved and, and was one of the people behind the, the lawsuits to get a hold of, of the federal records that Hillary Clinton um, made disappear. We were, we were part, it was part, it was a counsel to a group. We were the first ones to uh, sue over that actually. So I had some familiarity with with Clinton and, and, and the records and records laws and Federal Records Act and so forth. Uh, in 2016, I, I uh, worked for the uh, uh, Trump campaign as as part of the legal team. Um, I, I was with them through the campaign, through uh, the convention, through the general general election, uh, through the transition. Uh, and then during the administration, I, I did some time with uh, as, as an advisor to the Secretary of the Treasury, uh, senior advisor to, to Secretary Mnuchin for, for, for a bit. Um, spent a little bit of time um, trying to get things straightened out at the Department of Agriculture and then was sent to the Department of Justice, where I was a deputy associate attorney general for about 15 months. And then I was asked to go to the uh, Department of Education, where I served as the uh, general counsel for uh, Betsy DeVos. And, you know, since since the end of the administration, I've had the pleasure of working for America First Legal. So you were, were talking with one who is extremely knowledgeable, well-positioned, and uh, substantial credentials. We salute you for uh, your accomplishment and your service to our country. We, we really honor you. Uh, one of the voices that I listen to the most in D.C. Uh, who advises me has alerted me that we, we, we talk so often about this GOP landslide that's supposed to come in November. I think the party better be careful. They're, they're inebriated on an election that hasn't happened yet. And I think uh, that they should be very cautious. Um, the issue for me is not party. It's the principles involved. <clears throat> so that's what I care about, biblical principles of governance. But they're they're. They're overly ecstatic way too early, assuming something that has not yet happened. But even if that is to occur, my, my friend in Washington, who I trust, has warned me of what the lame duck people would do who are out of going out of office. They're in there from November till January. And what they could do, the damage they could do in that short length of time could be catastrophic because they've lost elections. They're going to be gone. <clears throat> and... Uh, we, we just need supernatural divine protection over us, not only in the what 88 days or whatever it is till the election, <clears throat> but, but from the election until everybody is sworn in, we face a, a major potential for crisis. Uh, here's one of the things that I'm, I'm sure you've seen the accounts that 
that the FBI was not hostile originally to the president. They came down to Mar-a-Lago. They were shown where things were stored. And their word was put a lock on it, uh, make it highly secure, which he did. Now, given that reality, how did he deteriorate so rapidly to this? Is it just is it just the sheer desperation that they're in panic mode that 45 could become 47? Is that, is that why they've just driven off the rails of constitutionality? You know, that that I think is is a at a minimum a, a very reasonable operating hypothesis. Um we are not obviously privy to the negotiations between the, the parties. Um, the, the FBI's institutional hostility to the former president is, you know, at this point, it's beyond dispute. Um, and so if there was a, a reasonable working relationship between the between the president, former president's lawyers, and, and the lawyers for and, and the National Archives and the Department of Justice, um, you know the only the only the only kind of the simplest explanation Occam's razor is that this was um, their politics was behind this, not not any legal necessity. But we just don't know, Pastor. Um, even with the affidavit, we just don't know. There were affidavits, as Congressman Gomer pointed out, in the, you know, in the FISA court. A lot of affidavits. They were falsified, as we come to find out. And uh, nobody was ever really held accountable for that. Uh, so I think the best we can say is we don't know. Um, we have to, though, based on... on you know, and, and, and past behavior doesn't necessarily, you know, isn't necessarily determinative, but my goodness, you have to be very, very skeptical of our government. Um, they have not been honest and straight, the FBI and, and, and the Garland Department of Justice about the former president um, since, well, ever. And uh, as Congressman Gomer you know, mentioned the president was well aware of this. And you can only imagine the damage that, that was done to our country because political partisans inside the bureaucracy tried to overturn an election in 2016. President has to be able to depend on the intelligence community, has to, has to believe that the information, the information has to be good and he has to be, being, you know, they have to tell him the truth. And instead, what we got was this, uh, you know, this, this horrific and unprecedented uh, stable of lies and deceit by, by the intelligence community, by the people that swear an oath to protect the Constitution and protect each and every one of us. And for their own reasons, though, they decided they would, they would, they would uh, dishonor that oath. It's really, as I said, we've never been in this place as a country. And it's just horrifying. I remember the first time someone said to me, he looked at me, he said, we no longer have consent of the governed. That jolted me. And then I remember the first time it occurred to my mind, we don't have rule of law anymore. 
And then now the language I hear from so many is we are not functioning within the framework of the Constitution. We are not people who operate in fear, but we are people who operate in concern. And we're going to be praying accordingly. We're not going to walk in fear, but we are going to confront uh, the demonic uh, spirit of deception and destruction that's coming on our, our country at this point. Mario, questions from you and then maybe from Ned. Then I want to pray a prayer of blessing over our attorney friend. Uh, Mario, question? Yes, th thank you. Uh, just a point of clarification. Is America First Legal in any way related to America First Policy Institute? Um, other than, than being advocates for the America First um, agenda, no, we, we're a separate organization. Okay, they're there. Um, no, we know lots of the people there. They're, they're you know, good people and, um, you know, God bless them for what they're doing. They're more focused on policy and, and um, public policy. We are, we are a legal shop. We, we, uh, we are uh, more, more focused on, uh, you know, fight. We're, we're, we're the, we're the people in the trenches. We're fighting, we're fighting the battles um, and, and they're doing the thing. Okay. Thank you. Um, other than what uh, Congressman Gomert said, what that they were trying to provoke violence, what else might they be doing in their own estimation? Why would they have gone to this extent, in your opinion? Oh, well, again, this is in, in speculation. I like to think it's informed speculation, but it's speculation. So let me put that you know out there. Having said that, reading the the uh, warrant and, and and reading the what it covers and uh, having pretty deep familiarity with what has happened over the last five years and, and knowing a fair bit about how the Department of Justice works and how it interfaces with the FBI and how that works and so forth. Um, I am I am pretty certain this really has nothing to do with classified information, nuclear codes, the Russians. It's about January 6th and obstruction of justice. If you look at the warrant, it asks for every presidential record created from January 21st, 2017 until January 21st, 2021. That means that they were able to go in and basically grab every scrap of paper. And that's why the search took so long. Right? I mean, the, the, the records is it seems to be accepted as a fact. Records were segregated. They were under lock and key. And yet the FBI found it necessary to spend, by all accounts, nine and a half hours inside Mar-a-Lago. And so, you know, facially that makes no sense that this is about the records that, that were packed, I must say, by the, by the way, that the records when the president leaves, they're packed by government bureaucrats, by the GSA, the Government Services Agency. It's not the president and his family don't do their own packing of the records. These boxes were not prepared by Trump. Okay? Uh, they were prepared by the GSA and they were shipped. And supposedly they were all sitting there under lock and key. So the notion that it took them nine and a half hours to search, it just is it's facially implausible unless you assume a, a Kind of a wider target and to me i think again looking at what we know about the time on site and uh the the way that the warrants drafted and the specifications in it and 
the alleged crimes. Uh, this is about obstruction of justice. It's about trying to build something about January 6th. So, in my view. so if we're following their past course of conduct, the January 6th showboat kangaroo court leading towards this, one can only extrapolate. There seems to be zero accountability that whether they will uh, fabricate evidence or however it is, they don't need much. They don't need anything uh, to fabricate that they're going to try to arrest the president. I mean, there's no other logical conclusion that that's probably, I don't know in what time frame their next step. Is that is that how you would? Yeah, I, I, I think there's, sure, there's a high, I think there's a, a high probability uh, that they will get an indictment uh, from a grand jury in the District of Columbia. Uh, and that they will arrest for, most likely for obstruction of justice. Um, maybe maybe they'll try and make it kind of a foot foul with respect to the uh, uh, some of the, the records that are in there and, and with the understanding that if the case were ever actually tried in the District of Columbia, it would be uh, the, the outcome in front of a jury there, frankly, is, is, uh, is, is uh, predetermined. I mean, there's... There's no way. There's no way that the that, that former president Trump Trump could get a fair trial in front of a, a district uh, of Columbia jury. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, I think I think there's, as I said, a high probability that there will be an indictment, um, and that they're you know laying the groundwork for this. Uh, but but look, I, I mean, let's remember who we're dealing with. All right, and 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 Congressman Gomer, Congressman Gomer's point that this that we have to be very very careful, and that that you know we can't get goaded into doing anything unwise, is is a very good one. Um, I am still, frankly, shaken by the experience of of, of trying to go into work after January sixth and seeing twenty thousand armed troops in the streets of Washington. Right. Let's let's remember what they did on the pretext that there was going to be this right wing uprising. They put 20,000 armed National Guardsmen in the streets of Washington with all the fences and everything else. There was no uprising. There was no threat. It was a message. It was a show of force. And um, we we have to we have to. I think heed what the congressman was saying. Um, what is the law um, if there's an indictment or conviction? When is someone prohibited from running for president? What are what are the facts? Oh, there's there's is I mean, the Constitution itself, as far as I know, there's no prohibition on on a, a felon running for president, even if it's a felony conviction, you can still run. Uh, he could still, you know, be voted as far as I as I as I know now. You know, would he get impeached and, and convicted? Maybe. I mean, impeachments about high crimes and misdemeanors, and they could say, "Oh, look, he's been convicted. He should be impeached." You know, we'll, so we'll go through that for what the third time, fourth time, I guess it would be. So, um, um, I mean, look, it, it's a way of trying to wound him. You know, sort of a death by a thousand cut strategy. That's what January 6th was. They're very, they're, they're, they're very afraid of, of uh, Trump as being the 47th president. 
And I say they, I don't just mean the Democrats. I mean, there are Republicans also. Um, this is this is a, you know, the, the, the split in our country is more kind of cultural and, and attitudinal than it is, you know, based on, on party identification. Uh, what kind of a backlash do you feel uh, the DOJ is getting beyond uh, the Republicans, beyond the uh, uh, America First uh, pro-Trump uh, MAGA people? Um, are they worried? Is the Democratic no, no, Party? No. Nobody's saying anything within if the you, Listen, and, and, and I try, you know, I try and, and, and spend time understanding, as I said, and, and, and reading what they put out and so forth. Um, they were celebrating. They were saying that this the day that, that Mar-a-Lago was raided is, is, was raided was, was the, the same kind of day, you know, day that you frame the newspaper. You know, it was like Apollo, you know, Apollo moon landing. It was a great day. And I, I think everybody's got to be very clear. They believe that deeply. I asked uh, Congressman, uh, how, how can we hold accountability? He said the courts, that'll take forever. Is, yeah. there, is there anything that could be done now? What, what would turn this around quickly? So we have to, we have to um, organize, we have to vote, we have to volunteer to make sure that, that the voting is as honest and square as, as we can humanly make it. Um, we have to be very clear with our elected representatives that we expect them to do their jobs, which means uh, working as hard as they can each and every day to ensure the truth comes out. And, you know, one of the things that's being talked about is whether or not the way that the January 6th committee has been structured and operated um, is something that should be replicated in some form. If we are, if we, as say Republicans, and the folks who care about accountability and care about cleaning up our, our intelligence community um, are lucky enough to have the opportunity to do it. And that gets very technical about things that the January 6th committee is doing, some of which you know, I think are just illegal. Um, but this bell now that they've rung, you know, you can't, you can't unring it. And um, sort of come back where it started. I mean, we need, you know, we need lots of prayers and our, and our leaders need the wisdom to do the right thing and to keep us on a path towards healing and, and, and moving the country forward. Um, as Congressman, the Congressman kept saying how dangerous this is. And, and that's true. Um, we are, we are, we are, we are in a position where without a lot of wisdom and, and a lot of, and without a lot of help from, from uh, God almighty, um, you know, we may, we may, we may see some very, very dark times, very, very dark times. My last question, and thank you so much, a, a tremendous briefing, very sobering and practical, uh, as well as your encouragement for prayer, uh, which is our purpose here. Um, my last question, in your opinion, um, are we going to have full and fair elections in November? 
That's a short question. Um, and, and unfortunately, I really don't have a super short answer. Um, I will say this. One of the lessons of the last of the 2020 election, at least to me, uh, one of the couple of the main takeaways are number one, um, we are we have historically been out organized on the ground. The other side is very good about putting people in the streets, doing the voter the ballot harvesting. Uh, but doing things also like making sure people have rights to the polls, making sure that um, um, people waiting in line are able to get water that's hot out. Um, they're very well organized. They're very well funded. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars was funneled into key areas by um, the Facebook people, for example. Uh, to help, I mean, it, it was, to, you know, allegedly to help election integrity, it was really to help Democrat. Um, most people get their news and their information from social media or their phones, the feeds. And uh, if you ever look at the, the news feed on your phone, just, you know, flip it up, you'll see kind of, it's curated and they're curating it, tech companies curate it to send you particular messages. Um, same thing on your browser, on the Bing browser. If you go flip it up, you can see and you look at what the stories are about. All the stories are about, you know, Trump's going to go to jail. Trump's uh, hiding nuclear secrets. That's all. There are no conservative media. We need to work really, really hard. And, and, and this is something that the churches, I think, really need to do to rise up. And, and they've got to inform people. That's something you can do lawfully. You can provide people with information. Um, our, you know, our... our uh, we, we just have to outwork them. We don't have the money, but um, we have to we have to do everything we can do. Um, and is it is it is it possible it will be a fair you know fair election a free election? Maybe uh, there's always some fraud. Um, the mail by ballot thing was something that a lot of us warned against for many, many years and folks didn't listen. Republican legislatures didn't listen. And that's because of COVID and that's what we got. So I guess the best answer I can give you is, I don't know. We, 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 have, we are facing people who wanna win and who have a lot more money and we're better organized at this moment. But um, we have, a lot of advantages also. We are, you know, we're very motivated to save this country or millions upon millions upon millions of people want to save the country. And, and it's incumbent on us to help activate them and help plug them in and, and give them an opportunity, you know, work with the local party, uh, Republican party to make sure that they're poll watchers, really very basic things, real, real simple blocking and tackling the kind of things we haven't paid attention to for a very long time. If we do that, maybe. If we don't, we're going to get steamrolled again. That, that's the best answer I can give you. Maybe, but we got to work. We got to work. Amen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you. Back Thank to you. Thank you. Ned, do you have a question you want to pose? You're muted right now, Ned. I I, I do, and thank you so much for your time, uh, Mr. Rubenstein. It's been, it's been great to hear from you. 
Um, I'm I'm hopeful, but not naive. And I feel like I'm watching a a car wreck in slow motion right now with our government. Um, when they obviously raided Trump and Mar-a-Lago and and sounds like very much it's it's going to continue to get uglier and worse. Um, obviously, that would open the door for sort of a tit for tat if Republicans ever got in power. Republicans would be utterly foolish not to uh, go very hard after uh, Democrats. Um, but I would think that the Democrats aren't that stupid uh, to not think that through. Um, I This is just a thought I have, and maybe you can respond to it, maybe not. I don't feel like they plan on losing power. Um, I don't. I don't feel like they plan on losing um, at all. And if they were to, they're so institutionalized, they would be an utter nemesis to whoever was in power. Um, I, I'm in the state of Florida, and I wonder when my governor is going to be next. Because if they hate Trump, they should really be scared of Ron DeSantis. Um, my my wonder is what I'm wondering is. Why should I think this stops with Trump? Should I not think it stops with Trump? And how deep and how far would it go? Could it ever get to a point where we have a Canadian-style uh, Canadian style, uh, offensive where people who are just supporters are now stifled and, and perhaps digitally ghettoized in our society? And, um, you know, I've paid attention to what they say on the left for the last several years, and my concern is I've, I have rarely seen any Republican or for that matter, many people in the church take seriously what the other side says, either about the church or about the GOP. Literally, I watched as, as one of the left-wing networks had a former military gentleman on who suggested that January 6th participants should be treated like terrorists in Iraq, and we should consider droning their houses and droning them. Literally, this was on television. So my, my, my concern is there's little institutional power. They've obviously are sophisticated enough to swing an election. Um, do the states, that leads me to the states, in your opinion, is there anything the states can do to push back against these abuses of power? Because it seems like there's not a whole lot of uh, firepower in the federal government when it comes to the GOP which also to me seems very split as far as their support for Trump. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, yes. Let's start at the end and, and we're, we're back. Yes. There, there is actually quite a lot the States can do and are doing. State of Texas has been stalwart in fighting the immigration uh, battle to stop what's going on at the Southern border, uh, Texas and Louisiana. Missouri has been very aggressive. Um, Florida, obviously. Um, Ron, your governor there is is you know also a great patriot and, and, a, and a brave man. Um, so sure, there are things you can do, um, but obviously, federal government has a lot of power. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I think our side, you know, partly because folks live in their own little bubbles they don't they don't listen to what kind of the others are saying and and then there's you know it's 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 a 
it's an it's a natural human tendency to sort of want to say, oh, well, they're saying they want to, you know, really get rid of us, or they want to, you know, put restrictions on the church, or you know, what have you. Um, it's just rhetoric. And that's a natural human reaction because if you take it seriously, it forces you into some, you know, unpleasant decisions. Um, but um, you know, I think one of the things. You know, certainly the Jews have learned is, is that if somebody says they want to do harm to you, you better believe them uh, because they probably mean it. I would agree. Uh, you know, and, and so I think that that principle is not sectarian in nature. It's that's just that's just the way it is. If somebody says I'm going to, you know, smack you in the nose, you know, if it's a two year old. OK, it's one thing. But if it's not, then you really kind of got to take them serious. And, and from their standpoint, um, they are at once, it's a strange dynamic. They're, they are very afraid of us. They are very afraid. On the one hand, on the other hand, they feel almost bulletproof because in their minds, they control all the institutions. They control tech, they control uh, the schools, they control Hollywood, they control the corporations now. They control both houses of, of Congress. They control the presidency, they control the bureaucracy. Um, they control a lot of the so-called mainstream churches, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. the, 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 so, so from their standpoint, it's like, oh, and I control the CIA and the FBI. So, so why is it I have to worry about you exactly from their standpoint? I mean, they want to win. And yeah, there are disagreements. You talked about mansion and whatnot. Yeah. Within, within the family, there's always disagreements and there's some, you know, there's, AOC is kind of at one end and maybe Manchin who's at the other, but you know, push comes to shove, most of them are all on the same team at the end. And that's the Senator Cruz's point, you know, when, when, when the rubber hits the road, that's you know what you're going to get. So, yeah. Um, but right. I mean, there's the story of David and Goliath. I mean, we're taught that story for a reason, you know, you do what you can do and, and, um, think a little bit out of the box, right? They gave him the sword and the shield, and he's just going, nah, that's not for me. And uh, took a little different tack. And God's yeah. help and some, you know, good aim turned out okay. And, and I think that that, you know, is, is, is kind of a simple parable, almost the kind of thing you tell kids, but, but the fundamental lesson, I mean, it's in there for a reason, you know, is, is that, um, you know, what's, what's the phrase? Not by might, not by power. Um, by your spirit. Yeah, but we, we, we've got a, you know, but, but we got our role to play. And, and uh, you know, look, it's what, what you, what you and your, and, and this network does is so critically important. And what each of you do in, in your daily lives is so tremendously important. Um, you know, we, we just got to get out there and, and, and do our best and, and pray to the Lord and, and see what happens. But we can't just sit around and moan. Can't do that. Can't do that. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your candor. Uh, Pastor Jim, would you like me to, to, to pray now or would you like to comment? Just one moment. We'll have you do that. Thank you. We're going to go to prayer. I just, <clears throat> final thought, uh, uh, your, uh, your counselor is my wife and I were listening to President Trump speak in Washington, D.C. 
about a month ago or last three weeks ago, two, two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. And it was his first time in DC since January the 20th of 2021. And uh, what went through my mind as, as we were we were going and there was, will, will he by chance announce for the presidency right now while he's here? And then the second thing went through my mind, this was before Mar-a-Lago. The second thing went through my mind a number of times, will the FBI arrest him here? Now this is before Mar-a-Lago, but it kept going through my mind. I, I, I don't have the trust that I once had. And some people have told me that I don't know if this is, is true or not. We're in the area of speculation that he wanted to announce in July. He has a gut instinct of when to do things better than about anybody I've ever seen. And he wanted to announce in July. And some said, oh, don't do that because federal election laws and funding and all, it complicates that. And also we have the, the midterms and the midterms will be clouded with, it'll, it'll be all about Trump instead of about the issue of, of inflation and et cetera. <clears throat> but I've often wondered in this last week, this last six days, uh, if they wanted to jump the gun, knowing he's going to announce, they wanted to get down there because if he had announced, then it would have appeared even more blatantly politically driven. It is politically driven. We all see that. But it would have been even more difficult for them had he announced for presidency, then it would look, it would be so apparent what a vendetta it was. I know this is speculation. You don't even have to comment on it if you don't want to, but do you have any thoughts on my little scenario I've described. If not, we'll go right to praying for you, sir. Pastor, I, I think that, again, what you say is very, very plausible. Um, but you're right. At the end of the day, it's all politics. And um, it's also, there's something that the former president has been saying recently last last maybe couple of years he says it's not it's not really about me it's about you when he you know when he's addressing people um i'm in the way and there's a lot to that uh coming back to what you talk about you know the the, the, the between what's right and, and what's wrong and whatnot there is there is a struggle going on um you know for the soul of the country and uh you know, if, if if as long as we step up and, and, and we do what we're supposed to, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced we're going to win. We will win. We have truth on our side. We have the truth on our side. This country has been immensely blessed. It's incredibly blessed. We've been through very hard times before. We fought a civil war. It was, you know, 750,000 Americans. We, you know, we defeated... Uh, the Nazis, we defeated the, the communists. Um, there's nothing we can't do with God's help. We're Americans. Um, unless, unless we sort of shrug and, and, and give up. And um, I know certainly this, this group isn't, and a lot of people aren't. And so, yeah, we face huge challenges, but, but as long as we stay strong and 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 we stick to our values and 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 we remember kind of what we're fighting for, we've got. I bet on us. I bet on you. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be. Uh, it's some rough water ahead for sure. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.